So good evening to everyone. I'm just aware of uh, how full the day has been in meeting with many of you and seeing what appears to be like a settling in that many of of us are having the experience of doing the the ones that the new yogis coming in for March and seems to be joining into a river of February yogis and it's been lovely to see this kind of uh, ease collective ease that's happening so I'm grateful for your practice and grateful to be sharing with you tonight talking about the third foundation of mindfulness and for the last couple of days we've heard from Gil about the first foundation of mindfulness which is really um, about being with the body and being with the breath maybe that was Adrian (laughs) it's a long time ago it all kind of runs together after a while all of us in this river and yes so she offered us this real uh, invitation to to be with the body to know the awareness of the body and the relationship of the body and the breath dancing together in this direct way of knowing that we're in a body and we have these experiences and Gil offered us last night the discussion on Vedana this feeling tone that with whatever contact we have in these bodies um, there is an experience of pleasant, unpleasant or neither and that this is a very pivotal the idea of the swing or the seesaw very pivotal experience that kind of tilts us in a direction of um, uh, of wanting or or a way or a way because we're experiencing certain aversions and these are all establishments of mindfulness that support us in uh, waking up to the moments that we're living And tonight I'd like to talk about the third foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of mind. And um, these practices all lead us towards uh, waking up. And they're very, um, what I consider to be brilliant instructions on, on how to be with your experience moment to moment and very intimate and knowing and caring and, and wise ways. So this third foundation of mindfulness is a mindfulness of mind. It's the knowing mind, what's referred to in Pali as chitta, the heart mind. And in this practice, we're cultivating bodhicitta, which is the awake heart and mind. I like what... Um, Saidal Utejaniya says, he says, one thing you need to remember and understand is that you can never leave the mind alone. It needs to be watched constantly. If you do not look after your garden, 
it will overgrow with weeds. If you do not watch your mind, defilement will grow and multiply. The mind does not belong to you, but it is your responsible your, but you are responsible for it. So this foundation introduces this sense of responsibility. Uh, it, it, it kind of brings up a certain ethical inquiry to how we're being with our mind states. Unawareness has impact. And, um, you know, we're conditioning the mind whether we are aware of it or not. So it's useful to kind of get a sense of how, how does this mind thing work? What's happening? And what happens next? So we're um, looking at the quality of awareness that arises and passes away in this particular foundation. It's the knowing of what arises, knowing when it's not there, and noticing what's wholesome and unwholesome, or what happens next. And we can't control the mind, but um, we can support ourselves in waking up to how we're in relationship to the mental activities that arise and pass away. And this is the work of the third foundation. The work of the third foundation is to really look at this activity of mind. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the instructions are that there's a discussion on the ordinary mind states and then there's higher mind states. And for ordinary mind states, there's the, the, um, the Buddha says, he knows a lustful mind to be lustful and a mind without lust to be without lust. He knows an angry mind to be angry and a mind without angry to be without anger. He knows a deluded mind to be deluded and a mind without delusion to be without delusion. And he knows a contracted mind to be contracted and a distracted mind to be distracted. So in these ordinary mind states that, you know, we have continuously, um, when we're looking at these four areas, we can see them, uh, oftentimes we tend to relate to them as individual entities, or we relate to these mind states as, this is personally happening to me. This is where you can really get a sense when we're watching of this impulse towards I, me, and mind that happens in this state. We start to say things like, I'm deluded, or I'm angry, or I'm the one that's lustful. And these are the habits of mind that we can begin to notice uh, in our practice. And in the higher states of mind, the sutta goes on to say that he knows a mind, a great mind, to be great, and a narrow mind to be narrow. He knows a surpassable mind to be surpassable and an unsurpassable mind to be unsurpassable. He knows a concentrated mind to be concentrated and an unconcentrated mind to be unconcentrated. And he knows a liberated mind to be liberated and an unliberated mind to be unliberated. This, 
this, this repetition of knowing what's arising and knowing when it's not there is the dance that, of awareness that we're doing. And in the higher states of mind, we can begin to see that that the objects or the that the objects are less um, predominant, and we can see the objects as like 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 flurries of energy that are passing through. And in and the higher states of mind leads to greater stillness. And what uh, Gil was saying on the first night, this sense of this, this, this awareness, the knowing mind can lead us towards stability and well-being and a sense of confidence in our practice. So mindfulness of mind invites us to be aware of the knowing mind, to examine the characteristics of, of mind and how it is influenced by certain mind states, moods, and emotions. This mo- noticing shifts us away from attachment and fixation uh, towards, uh, and less self-identification towards uh, more stillness and ease. So there's a shift that's occurring here. This is a practice of being aware without preferences, without interference, without likes or dislikes. This is a receptive uh, knowing that's occurring here. There's a sense of curiosity and non-resistance and a practice of kind awareness happening in the third foundation. We're tracking experiences to see what's wholesome, what's not, and where it leads Bhante Gunanatera, in his book, Mindfulness in Plain English, has a beautiful way of capturing how this experience works. And it's, I'll read it to you. He says, awareness happens just before you start thinking. A flashing split second just before you focus your eyes and your mind on the thing just before you objectify it, clamp down on it mentally, and segregate it from the rest of existence. Just before your mind says, oh, it's a dog. Those few seconds just before you conceptualize it as a thing is mindfulness. This soft, unfocused awareness contains a very deep noticing Deep, deep knowing that is lost as soon as you focus your mind and objectify the object into a dog. Once the mind perceives, mindfulness is quickly passed over. And mindfulness practice supports us in prolonging the moment of awareness so that mindfulness, or this, uh, this knowing mind, is just not knowing objects but it's knowing the larger field of awareness. Winnie the Pooh says it this way. Well, said Pooh, what I like best, and then he had to stop and think because 
although eating honey was a very good thing to do. There was a moment just before you began to eat the honey that was better than when you were, but he didn't know what to call it. It's mindfulness. So mindfulness of mind invites us to know what's arising, what's passing away, and to know the change, the, the intimacy of changing experience moment to moment. We know what's wholesome, we notice what's wholesome, we notice what's unwholesome. And we can, in the noticing of what's wholesome and unwholesome, we can notice what leads to freedom and what leads to more suffering. So the idea here is that no mind state is a problem because we're really looking at it to see what's here and where, is it, where does it lead us if we track it, if we follow, if we attend to it as a visitor. We want to know with a sense of um, curiosity and kindness and tenderness what we're giving birth to in our minds. <clears throat> and um, it's useful to also notice the mood. The mood and the emotions are also at play in these mind states, and they're kind of dancing with each other. If you're feeling... You know, if the mood is, is one of being depressed or sad or even excited or, or angry or blissful, that tends to, to create a certain uh, uh, field of experience that influence how we view what arises. And also I find that um, what we eat and... Um, whether we'll rest it well in the evenings or throughout the day. And uh, this is also at play as well as how we feel about the arguments we're having in our mind, especially the ones we're not winning. (laughs) That's also at play in how we then relate to what arises next. So a, a story is I was on a long retreat here at Spirit Rock and and uh, it was in February, and I, I had um, just really maxed myself out and was exhausted by the time I got to the retreat. I, you know, the first day was just really hectic, and the time change was intense, and, you know, so then I was late and was rushing to my meditation practice and uh, finally got on my cushion, and then it just started pouring down, raining. And all of a sudden, I had this, this hindrance attack of, oh my gosh, you know, I, I left the umbrella. Did I even bring the umbrella? And, oh, it's going to be so wet, and I never know what to wear and pack when I come to Spirit Rock, and this is just ridiculous, and I hate myself, and I should have known, and no, I shouldn't have known, and nobody would know, and how would you know? And this went on, I mean, I, 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 I was literally... My face was trembling, and, uh, and I was tight in my stomach, and I was um, just really felt quite explosive. And so I, 
decided to adjust my posture a little bit and I opened my eyes slightly and I noticed a yogi sitting right in front of me and she had this peaceful smile on her face. She was enjoying the rain. And it occurred to me that I could enjoy the rain instead of, you know, I mean, it was just one of those moments where I had gotten myself off the, cl- the hindrance cliff in my mind and then opened my eyes and I saw this beautiful uh, alternative way of holding experience right before me that really spoke to a mood. You know, that person came in probably with a different mood. So our mood and our emotions influence how we perceive. It, influ- it influences the next thing. It's, it it uh, supports a certain birth of experience that we have in the next moment. So paying attention to moods is uh, a really important moods and emotions. What's also helpful is in watching mind states, the arising and passing away of mind states, is often we fast forward through the cessation the experiences of cessation. You know, we tend to be attached to um, the objects, especially if they're intense, because they feel solid and even familiar. They feel like kin. Can you know? The mind can feel like kinfolk sometimes. You know, and we we have a certain um, nervous system that's used to certain levels of intensity, and so oftentimes we might be looking for certain mind states. And in the looking and the fixation and the attachment to them, we don't always notice when they actually are subsiding because we're used to kind of looking at what the next thing is going to be. So there's this addiction that we can have to the objects of mind and to, um, uh, to the next thing and then we miss the, the, the cessation of experience. That these are, I think Gil was saying, these are just film clips. And there's a lot of space and, and you know, they're still shots, but they run. And, and we're looking for, you know, the end of the story before we see that there's space in between the clips. So just to do a little experiment with you on cessation, just take your hand if you can and just tighten your fist really, really as tight as you can and just hold it tightly. And just hold on to this until you can't hold on anymore. And just notice when you naturally must let go. And as you naturally let go of the fist because you can't hold it like this forever. Notice the release that is occurring. And feel the complete release of opening the fist, knowing that from the inside of the hand all the way to the opening of the hand and to the resting of the hand. And just feeling the release the cessation is an experience of that you that can be known and is to be known. It's the arising and the passing away that we're attending to and seeing what happens 
where it leads and what happens next. I, rem- I often get um, images, and I was on a, a long retreat, um, and I, I got pretty concentrated and comfortable with the cessation of experience. And I can, I can remember this sense of uh, being on a swing in the early days of the retreat, of that retreat, particular retreat. And um, the effort of trying to know and needing to know and getting it right. And it was like a swing where you push your feet and the swing goes up and you pull back and it goes back and then you get this big rhythm going with the swing. And I can remember very distinctly when I stopped the pushing and the pulling and the swing just kind of settled into this, the swing of my mind just settled into this um, central place. And I was dangling, you know, the feet just kind of hang there. Um, there's, there's a subtle movement without effort in the stillness of just sitting there. And this is something we can begin to notice as we watch the mind when we're not efforting so much to look for something or to have something be perfect or to, you know, have a sense that, oh, this is, I'm not having the right experience. It should be something else. And when we attend to the mind this way, um, we can track what leads to freedom and what leads to suffering. And we're tracking without attachment, without being kind of identified with, uh, with the states of mind that do make themselves available. And the sutta goes on to talk about higher states of mind that we tap into as the mind becomes more and more concentrated, when we're no longer, uh, when, when the hindrances are no longer our op- occupation for increasing moments of time. We can know more subtler states, uh, more subtler mind states can be made available to us, can, can, can kind of glimpse, and we can see um, maybe the gradation of experience as we're watching the mind. Wallace Stevens, who wrote a book called 13 Ways of Looking at a Blackbird, he says, I don't know which to prefer, the beauty of inflections or the beauty of innuendo, the blackbird whistling or just after. So there's beauty in what arises, the whistling, and then there is beauty that can be known right after. And with growing stability and ease, we can kind of glimpse this more subtle and um, states of mind that come into play, more states that are representative of um, sensations and vibration and emptiness, all visitors. And this is the beauty on a long retreat that we can, you know, soften and relax into uh, having this broader view of experience. 
And as we rest and and uh, become more stable in our experience and there's more um, continuity or momentum in the mindfulness, we can begin to see, just kind of glimpse, these subtle, nuanced uh, experiences of higher mind states. I found on... um, especially on long retreats, that there can be a certain purification that happens in this, this knowing, with the knowing mind, with this capacity to just know experience. I can remember um, when the hindrances had subsided, I was on another long retreat, and uh, they actually felt like um, my thoughts were in a... Were were in the distance of the back of my head, you know, on a big screen. And, but I wasn't looking at the big screen. What I was left with was the experience of soreness and achiness in the body, which was the releasing that was occurring in the body from the holding of all of the mind states, especially of aversion that I had been holding. So that was a different shift of awareness from the activity of mind about being worried and anxious and angry about experience to actually feeling the effect it had uh, in the body itself. And when I was, was no longer entertaining the object of agitation, I was left with the body's experience of that. And in giving that kind attention, there was a bit more release and softening and kind of aeration even in the experience that naturally dissolved just through the, the, the awareness of it. So the um, not feeding uh, or, or giving energy to the... Um, object itself left me with a more uh, direct experience of the energetic of it, the flurry of vibration, tenderness, soreness, and then dissolve. There are times when the mind can become still and you can um, begin to see, uh, well, I can talk about another experience I had where um, the um, where my thoughts were feeling uh, there was a sense of the thoughts dissolving in my mind and then there was um, a noticing of the subtleness of the breath and its movement was like uh, yoga asanas the breath pattern that arose and passed away actually resembled like a sun salutation series. It was an interesting uh, way of looking at pattern of not so much activity of mind, but the breath itself became subtle and more um, informative of a rhythm, like a sacred geometry that was uh, revealing itself. So there are beautiful things that we can begin to notice. I mean, there, there's many of you that have talked about this and, 
in the interviews of what you're touching into. These kind of beautiful states of mind are the, where the concentration allows for a certain um, awe or, or kind of um, non-identified awareness of experience that supports stability, ease, and confidence in the practice. So, um, with this growing concentration, one of the things we can begin to know very directly is the experience of impermanence. Because in the noticing, knowing mind, we're noticing what arises, what passes away, and that things are always changing. We're noticing the first, you know, one of the characteristics of the nature of things. And with growing concentration, we can um, also begin to see that there's um, a relationship, there's a conditionality, that there's, there's a relationship to, to if, this, if my, my ears hears a sound and my mouth has a taste or my nose smells and I can feel my earth quality on the seat, we can begin to see the relationship to contact and how that influences a certain mood and mind state and um, where that leads. Where is all this leading? We get to see that we're, con- we're conditioned. We're in a conditioned, or we're in relationship through this body with all things. And we also can see that it's not so personal, that a lot of what we're seeing is not anything that we can hold on to very tightly. It's not about me, mind, or I. And we, we can see it that way instead of finding ourselves being more gripped or kind of possessed or obsessed by the activity of mind. So we relax into uh, deep knowing of the nature of things, that things are impermanent, impersonal, and imperfect. The Sutta talks about that we know the mind that is great, unsurpassable, concentrated, and liberated as we continue to be ardent, clearly knowing, free from discontent, independent of clinging, stable, well, at ease and confident. Joseph Goldstein refers to this as mindfulness of um, mind strengthens the momentum of mindfulness through mindfulness itself. So mindfulness of mind is strengthened through the it's the momentum is strengthened through awareness itself. So this is the freedom we can know and can grow to trust from our direct experience. So let's sit together for a few minutes.
You cannot leave the mind alone. If you do not watch the mind, defilements will grow and multiply. The mind does not belong to you, but you are responsible for it. Thank you for your attention and we have some extra time for walking before we come back for our last sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.